0: Well, just because we're going to have a show about sexual addiction doesn't mean you can't keep a straight face, is that it? <laughs> Pretty
1: much. <laughs> uh, that's one nice thing about being my age. I can get away with all this stuff. If I was your age and said the same things, I don't think I could get away with it as easily. <laughs> Nobody takes me hey seriously. There,
2: <laughs> I'm David Fitzgerald, and I took a left at the valley.
1: I woke up this morning
3: had a burning deep inside
0: near feeling
3: it's all a big lie I feel the pain there's hunger in despair stop the rhetoric of your teaching time for us to share
0: Welcome city. back to another edition of Left of the Valley my name is Kevin I am your host yeah, and with me today of course we have our matriarch of history, Nancy. How are you doing? I'm
1: doing great. How and, about
0: you? I'm great. And of course we have also our friend who is absolutely unforgettable, Connie. Hi there. Good
1: <laughs> afternoon.
0: It's loud in your ears. Is that better?
2: Much better. Thank ah, you. We, go.
0: we got a great show for you guys today. We'll be talking about the myth of sexual addiction. But before we get into all that, a little bit of chit-chat. Nancy, you finally saw that Spotlight
1: film. I did. I, what do you think? I think it was probably one of the best movies I've ever seen. It was. Um, it just was spot on with everything: the writing, the cast, h- how the story built from the beginning. It was just fabulous. Wait a minute, Am I using enough really good adjectives, or do I need to no. let you know how I really feel? <laughs> <laughs>
3: no,
0: I think all three of us have seen that movie. And yeah. like I said to the last show, I highly recommend it for anybody who hasn't seen it, <clears throat> which, of course, it's the movie that depicts how the Boston Globe exposed the uh, sexual predation from the Catholic Church in the Boston area.
1: Yeah, Michael Keaton was just fantastic. Mark Ruffalo, yeah. er, the whole cast. I mean, you the the, the men who played the victims Mm. were so good. Believable. that you, they were so you, believable. For a minute you'd almost think, What well, how did they get the real people out here to, you know, tell their story in front of the camera? They they were that good. Mm-hmm. So,
0: Absolutely. You know? And it's can't help but notice it's that one movie where Batman and the Hulk came up against the Catholic Church. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and on a less happy note I guess, another week, another mass shooting in the States. Uh, you guys want to have, give some thoughts on that? Uh, Where to go, w- huh? When it,
1: when it gets to be routine, <laughs> it says more. I, I'm trying to think of the, I'm trying to think of an adjective. I can't I can't quite get there because it's so bad. But what does that say about U.S. society at, at the present time when you when you have them and you have. Reporters that are going out and becoming experts because they do this all the time. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, to, to see this play again, it's like, oh, can we get through at least one week without having, you know, this kind of tragedy? It's just... You can't handle the truth. Exactly. I don't think I can. I think I'm overwhelmed with the truth <laughs> at this point.
0: Well, uh, I, I guess it really started out uh, when they had that Planned Parenthood tragedy, uh, which, of course, it happened in Colorado. The shooter was a uh, Robert Lewis Deer, who was 59 years old. He killed three people and wounded several others. Uh, apparently, when he was arrested, he uh, muttered, no more baby parts, as, as, as he was being arrested after a six-hour standoff which is now prompting the idea that he was influenced by the anti-abortion movie made by David DelaDeen at the, center, of the of, uh, of, uh, center for Medical Progress. Now, this movie was widely criticized and then debunked as it featured supposed footage of a kicking fetus and started rumors that Planned Parenthood was selling human fetuses after abortions. Actually, it went all the way to Congress, and, you know, presidential candidates actually used that. Many right-wing politicians tried to use this video to defund the program, despite Adelaideen's own admittance that the the fetus-on-the-table footage actually came from a miscarriage, not an abortion. Presidential debate Carly Fiorina kept promoting the Adelaideen video, even as it was debunked. Um, You can't help but think, you know, is this right-wing propaganda coming home to roost? What do you guys think?
1: Well, I think it's always been home. Where did it go? I mean, it's, it's always... <laughs> maybe if it had gone someplace, it would have changed or, or morphed into something more rational. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, it's, it's stayed the same. It's just getting more, um, I was going to say, frantic in, in in its expression.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's all, the, it's all the, the rhetoric you hear. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you have evidence, and I would suggest even almost strong evidence, that this man was actually highly influenced by this, and they actually prompted him to do this. It's also kind of curious that he wasn't shot, maybe because he's not black, right? (laughs) Yeah, he was actually arrested. He wasn't shot. Um, And, of course, uh, many Planned Parenthood clinics are constantly under threats and attacks. And can we actually finally call this Christian terrorism? We talk about Islamic terrorism a lot. We actually had a whole show about this last time but this is a good example of christian terrorism i think
1: i think i'm hearing that uh, Connie, are you hearing a little bit more in the in the media what they're actually calling it they might be not be calling it christian terror but they're calling it you know extreme right you wing know, or, or even term, term that, but they're that Kevin yeah just said, it's just just starting it uh, oh, every it's going now to escalate from here. It's
2: it's 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 going to get worse before it gets better. You
1: don't hear it on the networks on, on U.S. networks, but you do on cable because yeah. they, they they I guess the listening they're not so so much worried about their advertisers.
0: Yeah, now it's even scary to the point now that uh, they've actually noticed that there are actually more mass shootings in the states that have been days in 2015. They've actually had more mass shootings in the states than days at this point.
2: I saw that on on a post somewhere, yeah, on Facebook uh, and, or something, and, and I was shocked.
0: Absolutely amazing, yeah, absolutely amazing. You know, and I love that article from the Onion, which of course the Onion is satire, yeah. but I said, you know, um, it said uh, you can't do anything about it. It Says only country that where this happens, you know. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, and then there, I'm sure you saw too that the. the, um, the Congress was called out for so many congressmen saying our thoughts and prayers are with the victims, and yes, yes. It, you know the the um, uh, almost all of all of the rational uh, um, news newspeople journalists are saying forget the thoughts and prayers do something yes, and then the one thing that they do is turn down the bill to. Um, eliminate, not eliminate, but for background checks and uh, yeah. assault rifles. A-
0: exactly, it's just absolutely amazing. The New York, uh, was it the New York Daily paper that had this this front page cover well, you that know says, New York, you know, Times, "New York Times, New York Times." Mm-hmm. Yeah, that says, "You know, uh, God isn't doing anything about this." You know, and, and that's that's amazing to see this at this day and age, especially in the states where yeah. they're so religious. And you know, it's kind of hopeful. And I've seen on social media anyway. It feels to me that there's been some kind of a resurgence of atheism because of that you know people are saying yeah you're right you know prayers are not working i was seeing a, a, a bit of a meme the other day where they were talking about you listen at all the like you said the republican candidates are saying oh our thoughts and prayers but then that's it our thoughts and prayers all the democrat candidates are going enough of this we need to do something exactly. we need to, we need to you know do something and change the law or something so it's it's that duality in the states.
1: I guess because they're all bought by the NRA, there's not much they feel they can do other than thoughts and prayers, because then they lose all their campaign funding, which yeah. is horrible. I mean, it's blood money, don't you think?
0: I think so too. And the the, the, the irony of it all is the NRA is actually not a big number; they ju- they just have a lot of money, and it's also a pretty solid block of voters too. Um, but you know, when you have ninety percent. 80 to 90% of the population in the United States that are support these kind of measures, you know, background checks and stuff like that, and yet it gets blocked in Congress, you realize that, you know, you don't really have a democracy anymore at this point. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, on something a bit better, let's get back to you, Nancy, with our Day in History.
1: Oh, here we go. This Day in History, which, as we all know by now, is a roundup of those events and individuals that altered and illuminated the dates between... November 23rd and December the 6th. Starting with November the 3rd, it was Labor Day in Japan, and on that day in 1963, it was the first episode in on the BBC of Doctor Who, which is now the world's longest running science fiction drama. Either one of you, Doctor... No.
0: Doctor am not, not a huge Doctor Who no. fan, no. But you know, I know a lot of people are.
1: A lot of people I got I got excited when David Tennant was the doctor and then after that I lost interest. So, unfortunately. But those who love it absolutely are, are addicted to it. So. I just
0: happen to know that Richard Dawkins' wife used to be married to one of the actors playing Doctor Who. Ah, I don't okay. know which one though, I can't remember. So.
1: No, but that's a great piece of trivia. It keep is. keep that keep that in the back <laughs> of your mind. You're, You never know. You could use it again sometime. Extra point, extra point. Extra point. Uh, November the 24th was Evolution Day, which was the anniversary of the publication of Darwin's On the Origin of Species. Uh, and, and there were there were actual um, celebrations on that on that day. There was quite a, quite a bit in the, in the paper and uh, on the atheist site about uh, evolution. The evolution book was al- day.
0: the book was also voted the most influential book, scientific book of all time at this
1: point. Uh, uh, Absolutely, it was the foundation. Yep. Um, on that day, on November the twenty fourth, was the day that Jack Ruby shot Oswald in Dallas, and of course we talked about that the, the uh, last Lake, time. Right. Um, And uh, because of of doing that, I actually bought the book, uh, Dallas 1963. I went on, um, on Amazon and found the book. For twenty-five cents, what? <laughs> the shipping cost me more. But it's fascinating all of the uh, the events and the people that led up to the assassination. So it's a it's a great little great little book for a quarter. You can't uh, can't miss it. So any book, you know, any book that um, people want to want to read check Amazon and half.com and you never know the the good bargains that that you'll be able to get (laughs) for a quarter. Anyway, November the 25th was International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. And on November the 25th in 1949, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer appeared on music charts. Wow. And the minute I hear that song, I can't get to the volume and turn it off turn it off i turn it off i you know when you when you have little kids as i did eons and eons ago that's all you heard at oh, yeah. christmas and of does
0: it depend on what time of year i mean if it's mid-november i i totally agree with you if it's, it's like it <laughs> the week before christmas i might leave it on <laughs>
1: That's right. There was a cartoon. I mean, there was a, a cartoon of Rudolph the Red-Nosed of Reindeer, too. A to watch That's it. a classic. watch absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> well, if you're in the car, we'll turn up the volume, okay. Connie. <laughs> <laughs> Your Honor. November the 26th is Constitution Day in India, and it was Thanksgiving in the States. And on November the 26th, a a young man whose name was Ellery Shemp was about to become one of the atheist and humanist heroes in the United States, a very strange name for a hero. But he was in school, and he protested the mandatory reading of passages from the Bible in his public school homeroom. And he decided to read passages from the Koran instead of the Bible, which, of course, earned him a trip to the principal's office. And when he went home and talked to his family, um, they decided that they were going to absolutely do something about religion uh, in in the public schools. And they got American Civil Liberties Union to launch the case, which was called School District of Abington Township versus Shemp. Eventually, Madeline Murray O'Hare combined her lawsuit with theirs, and in the end, the Supreme Court ruled that such mandatory religious exercises are unconstitutional. Now, the question is, if you are in a school and the teacher says, we will have prayer, but those of you who, who do not can have a moment of silence, is you think that's constitutional or not constitutional?
0: No, as soon as the teacher imposes it, it is unconstitutional. Yeah.
1: Correct. I mean,
0: if the student decides to pray on his own at lunchtime or whatever, that's totally his choice, his or her choice. But if, if the student, being a, an employee of the government, tries, that's not right.
1: That's right. When the, when the teacher um, combines... A moment of silence with prayer, then the, the moment of silence becomes a religious, mandatory exercise and it's unconstitutional. You get more points. You're building up your points Woo.
2: now, buddy. I remember, I'm sorry, this is off topic, well, on topic. Yeah. When I was in third grade in my elementary school, um, we had to say Lord's Prayer, and we felt uncomfortable my parents actually sent a note to the school and me or, or myself and my brothers we were all removed from those classes the, the first part because we didn't believe we didn't partake and my parents thought you can't force this on my family or my kids you was it,
1: but wasn't it difficult for you with the other kids to be removed
2: well i was in third grade so i don't remember too much of of, of how the kids took it yeah, it's
0: actually an time for third grader
2: <laughs> but no, it was just... I think the other kids thought that we were just lucky that we didn't have to sit through it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have be, be oh, yeah. envied. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Exactly. The teachers didn't treat you any differently? No, no,
2: no. And if they did, my parents would have been there saying, "You, you no, know, this is not right.
1: Much different in, in Canada. In the, in the States where my son... Was also told to um, stay outside. He was treated differently, and it was difficult for him with the other children. So, but again, you know, I think I, that's I the think there's more tolerance in Canada. But exactly, that's yeah, the big difference. Absolutely. Um, November the 27th was Black Friday in the states, so the biggest shopping day in the year, and, and Black Friday is also in the newspapers and in the retail stores here. Um, In 1924, on November the 27th, the first Macy's Thanksgiving Parade was held. And, of course, it's on on TV every year for those who really love the parades. Uh, November 28th was Independence Day in Panama. And in 1948, the Polaroid Land Camera first went on sale at a Boston department store. Anybody remember the Polaroid Camera? Oh, totally. Yeah? They've come back. The, yeah, in a way, they, yeah. Yeah, but
2: they've got the little, the little teeny tiny versions. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah the first one sold for eighty nine seventy five. How much does the new one sell for? Anybody know? Two three hundred. Yep, yeah, $2, $2. <laughs> probably. <laughs> well, it, it, the uh, Polaroid was sold through nineteen fifty three, and of course it was the first first successful self developing camera. And it was uh, I took about a minute for the old one, and I don't know how. It, oh, I have how no idea. And anyway, uh, November the 30th was St. Andrew's Day in Scotland. And in 1609, the modern face of the moon first emerged when Galileo turned his telescope toward the moon, noticed the irregularities of the crescent face, and made a drawing to record his uh, discoveries. Of course, it didn't go so well for him in 1609. No, it certainly didn't. <laughs> no, but today, uh, he uh, we... we just amazed that he was able to do so much with the lenses and the telescopes and what he had available to him at the, at the time. I mean, he really was an explorer of uh, the, the highest magnitude back in those days. Uh, December the 1st was World AIDS Day and also the birthday of someone that we know, Richard Carrier. And uh, he, we know him because he came here and had yes. a debate on the historicity of of Jesus, and it was. Which a, is
0: actually one of the episodes of our podcast as well. It absolutely it's actually the most listened episode of our podcast.
1: Yeah, and uh, the the book uh, on the historicity of Jesus was in. Um, he published it in two thousand eleven or twelve. It was right into I think it was, uh, it was 13, 12. 12 or thirteen, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. 12 or 13, late, late 13, I think it was. It's a big break. A big, yeah. On December 1st in 1999, um, a book called Western Atheism came out in paperback, and that was by James Thrower, T H R. O-W-E-R, who is a professor in the history of religions and director of the Center for the Study of Religions at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland, and it's supposed to be a pretty comprehensive book covering um, atheism and its roots and the people who uh, were Important in the movement, so anyone who is trying to build their library um, with the historicity of Jesus, you can also add a short history of paperback. And you might, I don't think you're going to find historicity for a quarter, but <laughs> lots of luck <laughs> and a short history of paperback.
0: Although, if you're a beginner and you don't want to hit something like Carrier, I recommend David Fitzgerald's book, 10 Reasons That Shows That Christ Was a Myth. Yeah. Fantastic little book. Fantastic.
1: Uh, December the 2nd was International Day for the Abolition of Slavery. In 1942, that was the first nuclear chain reaction at the site that was built below beneath the bleachers of Stagg Field at the University of Chicago. In 1988, on the same day, Salman Rushdie's controversial novel, Satanic Verses, was uh, publicly burned for the first time when a demonstration of 7,000 Muslims marched and burned it in Bolton, England. And uh, that, uh, you know, as a result of his book, uh, he has led a rather um, fearful life. He's come out quite a bit since that time. Still brave, but... Yeah, but I think he's inspired a lot of people to go ahead because of the, the way he's been able to live his life since then. Um, December the fifth was World uh, is World Soil Day, and in 1893, the first electric car to be built in Canada was built in Toronto, and it could go 15 miles between charges. It could go 25 miles per hour, and the inventor was a fellow named Frederick Bernard Featherstoneha. Hmm. And he wasn't an inventor, he was a lawyer in Toronto, and his home was one of the first to have electricity, and he um, had his eye on the horseless carriage, and he had a a client who um, was an engineer, and so together they they built the, the battery that could sustain it, and he drove it for 15 years, and then it was exhibited, and then it just got lost. It, oh, it's it, it's not preserved. There are pictures of it, but somehow or another, it just got lost, which is a which Amazing. is a shame. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah,
0: a lot of people don't realize that electric cars are a lot older than we actually think.
1: They are, and there were in 1893. That wasn't the first. They had been mm. building them, I think, since early 1800s and 1820s, 1830s. They started in France and Germany, and uh, but but this was ours. And if anyone is a fan of Murdoch mysteries. You remember in season five, he actually had a a mystery in Toronto that involved the electric car that was based on uh, on nice. this particular yeah. So you can go back and they did a, a pretty good replica of what the the open cedar. Yeah, it was supposed to look like, yes. so that's a, that was a fun episode. You
0: know, I've always wondered why, you know, why, uh, this is completely a tangent here, but why Canadians don't have their own car company. I mean, we buy cars from the States, Korea, Japan, whatever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but we don't have a Canadian car company. Why is that? You know, anyway... For another subject, for another day, I guess.
1: I, I, have, I have no idea. We had a car company, um, and it was called Dixon Carriage Works, and they were the ones that built the electric car. But I think after that, maybe it was easier to import rather than, than spend the money on um, manufacturing up here. I have no idea. I
0: suspect politics and all this, but no.
1: <laughs> um, I'm sure. Um, December the 6th is the National Day of Remembrance and Action on Violence Against Women, also informally known as White Ribbon Day. And that's a Canadian holiday, and it happens every December 6th, and it is the anniversary of the 1989 Polytechnic School mm-hmm. Massacre. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, was 27 were, women? 14 women? 14 women were injured and 10 others um, in the name of Fighting Feminism. They, they were, um, yeah, because feminism master- is yeah. such a threat, right? Yeah, and the commemorative <laughs> date was established by Parliament in 1991. And that, dear listeners, brings to a close another passing parade of interesting, mundane, unusual, and occasionally bizarre events and people that make up this day in history.
0: Thank you very Thanks, much, Nancy, Nancy. And we'll be right back right after this. What is secular humanism?
1: Critical thinking
0: knowledge is freedom freedom from ignorance and its offspring fear the bc humanist association has been active in the vancouver area for over 25 years we offer a friendly and welcoming place to make new friends as well as free educational lectures we invite you to join us any sunday at 10 a.m in the oakridge senior center please visit our website for more details bchumanist.ca And we're back. Yeah. So today we are we'll be discussing the myth of sexual addiction. Uh, But before we get into all this, um, I thought I'd let you know, Nancy, that uh, you know we just had a PSA, public service announcement for the BC Humanist. Uh, Actually, Ian decided that he will come on the show as well. So.
1: Oh, fantastic!
0: Yeah, we'll have to. Ian is the head of the uh, BC Humanist. So he will come on the show. He might actually be live with us on studio because he's planning to come around here in January. So we might have to have him live actually instead of. Oh,
1: that's great! He really revived the uh, the blog. For the BC Humanists And he puts a letter out each week And he's uh, he's really a firebrand He's a quiet guy But he's a firebrand And he's really at the forefront Of a, a lot of issues uh, Religious um, issues um, Here in, in the Lower Mainland mm-hmm, So mm-hmm. looking forward to having him on
0: Yeah, it's going to be great uh, But before we get into all this With the uh, interview with Dr. Del Ray, We have Another brilliant, brilliant moment Brought to you by Religion, religion. Okay. I've got a couple of stories here, but, you know, I'm just going to take one because we got to move along, I guess. And uh, <laughs> I found this on the <clears throat> very credible yournationalnews.com. Ladies, did you know that archaeologists found evidence of the Great Flood? No. I know, again. <laughs> and this is what the title says. <laughs> archaeologists find evidence and atheists admit they're wrong oh. now I'm gonna read the entire article here and you 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 pick what doesn't seem right to this <laughs> the seventh chapter of Genesis discusses the flood that destroyed the whole world despite the fact that the Bible describes the flood in detail there are many people who have stated it's just a legend or myth however archaeologists have found evidence that the flood really occurred scientists have recently discovered some remains from the driest place on earth The region only receives a few inches of rain per year. The scientists found whale bones in the Egyptian Sahara Desert, which is located about 100 miles from Cairo. The bones are now on display in open-air museums. Atheists do everything in their power to discredit the Bible. They even try to make up unscientific stories to prove their point. However, they have not been able to explain how a whale could end up in the Sahara Desert. The proof has been written in the Bible long before people began questioning the word of god christians believe that the flood is the only way the whale could have ended up on the sahara desert however atheists will likely try to make up more explanations for that okay where to start
1: with? i don't know i'm starting to believe help me help me i'm starting (laughs) to believe
0: well aside (laughs) the fact that they don't name any archaeologists that, that was the entire article i just read that was it there's no there's no name of archaeologists they found whale bones in the sahara desert Okay, so what? The Sahara wasn't always a desert. <laughs> there, there's no, there's no, you know, source material, anything like that. It's just, oh, we found bones in the desert. That's it. The Great Flood. <laughs> that's your evidence. That's pathetic.
1: Wait a minute. Evidence, religion. Is this something that you were putting in the same sentence? <laughs> and you, and you think it's going to work? Do you?
0: Oh, I. I no. <laughs> yeah I was just shocked and this is the stuff that goes online and you know people actually read it and said that's it atheists are are, are saying also about the uh, the the title it says that you know atheists admit they were wrong it doesn't even say that in the article (laughs) Uh, which atheists admitted that we were wrong about this
1: you wonder who is it that's churning all of this stuff out where did it come from? I mean, where did the article come from, from, from that website?
0: Yeah, I yeah. mean, I don't even have the author of the article. I've got nothing. All I have is you know, yournationalnews.com. That's all I have. You know, and I went on the site to, to look that up. What kind of journalism is this? I it's, think it's, it's not it's, even journalism. I,
1: I think it's last-minute journalism. I think the editor walked over to Myron, who was sitting in the back and saying, Myron, you've got five minutes. We've got to close this down. We're going to print. Put something in there. I don't care what it is, but it has to take up two and a half inches. Exactly. Okay. We need, <laughs> we need a filler. We need Myron, a filler. You know, Myron the filler <laughs> did his job. Everybody could go home. The paper came out on time. It was a success.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I just can't understand what what is it about these people that they just don't understand that you know if you're going to say okay, you found whale bones in the desert, mm-hmm. okay, <laughs> of course. If 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 we were like 200 years ago, that would have raised an eyebrow, saying whoa, well, that's kind of strange. But what we know about geology today, it's it's nothing surprising, right? The, mm-hmm. the Sahara Desert wasn't always a desert. Actually, we have very Good evidence at some point in the history, it was actually a very luscious forest, tropical forest. Now it's a desert, but you know, in the history of the earth, no. But the, I just love the way they just jump right away to the conclusion hey, whale bones in the desert, flood right away. There we go. That's the evidence. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.
1: Yeah, I know. You don't have to know anything. You can just put it out there. Yeah. And and somebody <laughs> will believe it. Yeah, Myron the filler. Just, you know, five minutes to press time, go for it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, oh, you know, I I can't believe this passes for journalism today.
1: Oh, I could say so much, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how about...
3: Shirley, you can't be serious.
1: I am serious. (laughs)
3: And don't call me Shirley.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this is journalism today in 2015. Yeah. (laughs) So, anyway...
2: Is there, there, I'm sorry, is there on that site um, an address that you can... uh, well, you mean the address or... Like a, a, an email address on there that you can submit a comment or...
0: Oh, this is, these are just notes. I guess I'll have to go back to the yournationalnews.com and check it out, but I'm sure maybe I should. That, <laughs> would, be, that would be Just take a few minutes and say, what
1: kind
2: of stupid... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and come back with the, uh, with, the, with the answer if there is an answer.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah, I, I've, I've seen better articles and better journalism from third graders. And exactly. Anyway. anyway, today we are talking about Sex Edition. Let's talk about sex. Remember that video clip, Salt and Pepper. Anyway, uh, it was a, something I wanted to bring in because uh, our, our old friend Dr. Del Ray is going to be with us soon. Here, we have a nice interview with him, uh, but I wanted your thoughts on uh, the whole idea of sex addiction to begin with. The first time I heard about sex addiction, I think it was with Michael Douglas. And uh, another actor, David Duchovny. David Duchovny is what I heard. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When they all, all of a sudden they were saying, you know, these people were addicted to sex and they had to do those stupid rounds like going on Oprah Winfrey and all that crap. And for the longest time, I didn't really question it, you know, although it was strange to me, addicted to sex. You know, okay, fine. Everybody enjoys sex. Uh, What was your, your first thought as well, David Duchovny for you guys? Was that the first time you heard about this? Uh,
1: no, I, I think I, I heard about it before. Generally, when I read about sexual addiction, it generally had to do with women more th- more than, oh, more I heard, than I, men. I, was, I so. always
2: had it vice versa. Vice, oh, okay. Vice versa.
1: Yeah, yeah
0: I always heard men more, much more than women. I mean, of course, everybody talks like for women, they call it a nymphomania, I guess. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. Uh, And and
1: that's probably where it stemmed from, is, you know, the negative about, you know, women uh, enjoying sex, whereas men were considered... Uh, their prowess was uh, something that to be celebrated. Yeah, exactly. And, and maybe that's why I equate, you know, hearing more about women in that role and negatively than than men. But actual addiction, probably David Duchovny. I can't hard to remember. Mm. Past, yeah, it's, it's, that. It's, been
0: it's been a while. It's
1: Been a while.
0: It's been a while, certainly. And you know, I I remember as a as a young teenager. That's almost a line you would you would throw and say, "Hey, you're going out with this girl. Oh yeah, she's a total nympho." And you know mm-hmm. all the guys are, "Oh, you lucky bastard." Which mm-hmm. actually, nymphomania is actually apparently recognized and not something to be, yeah, <laughs> not, not not something to be celebrated. Let's just say, but uh, sexual addiction, uh, you know, for the vast majority of the public, even if you walk down the street today and you start talking to them about that, they have no clue. Say, yeah, of course, sex addiction. You know, it's like addicted to alcohol or, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. drugs or anything mm-hmm. like that well it turns out it's not true at all it's actually completely made up but we'll let uh, dr del Ray talk to us about that anything else, before we dive into the dr del rey interview which is a good half hour uh, anything else you ladies want to tell me about the subject
1: <laughs> are we are we looking for personal experiences here? If so, Kevin, it's going to be pretty quiet before you get to Doctor Ray. <laughs> personal experience? Well, you, you could. You know? Well, no. Now, you, now that I find that it's all made up, I have nothing to add. <laughs> I don't know.
0: We talk about the Nancy sexual sex life here. It's a bit of a mystery here.
1: All of a sudden, <laughs> and it's going to remain so. <laughs> okay, perfect.
2: <laughs> <laughs> why, why, why are they all of a sudden uh, saying that that uh, sex, addiction, uh, sex addiction is is a myth?
0: i do not all of a sudden saying that. Uh, it's always been, as far as this uh, the field of psychology is concerned, it's never been a true thing. It's never been diagnosed. It's not in the uh, DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual that they have. Uh, it's it's a made up thing. Uh, as far as uh, the and of course, we'll have Doctor Del Rey explain that to us mm-hmm. in, in length. Uh, but uh, in a, in a nutshell, what they're saying is it's a it's a huge industry in the states now. It's an industry you know where they tell you uh, that uh, you're addicted to sex, and they send you to a clinic, which of course costs a lot of money, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then they treat you. Uh, but it gets even more um, interesting than that because uh, since they can't actually bill that to the insurance companies, right? They can't bill sexual addiction because it's not actually recognized as a thing mm-hmm. by actual science. What they do is they tell the customer. And usually the customer's parents, you know, because it's often they'll send kids into something like that. Oh, we're treating your son or your daughter for sexual addiction. Fine. Child or the person goes into the clinic. Then they turn to the insurance companies and say, no, no, we're treating them for depression. Because they can't actually get paid for treating sexual addiction because it doesn't exist. So it's actually a huge, huge industry. But I'm going to go go right ahead and I'm going to get, where is he? Dr. Del Rey. You remember Dr. Del Rey? Have you met Dr. Del Rey,
1: Nancy? No, I haven't.
0: Yeah, I had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Del Rey at Imaginal Religion 4. Um, fantastic fellow. Fantastic fellow. He granted us an interview. He's been on the show before as well, uh, where we promoted his book, The God Virus and the Sex with God. He's He's got a very interesting podcast called Sexual Sexual, uh, Secular Sexuality, which I highly recommend.
1: The, the only thing I would say is that if you give somebody a, a false sense of personal of Of who they are and you know um, so that they begin to devalue themselves and think they have some kind of a, a mental illness or they're defective in some way, and then you put them in therapy for something that is false to begin with. What are you doing to that individual you 're now building him on a foundation of sand mm-hmm. and you're extracting money. And whether he improves or doesn't improve, now he's left with an image of himself that's been given to him by a third party. How – the dynamics of that, you know, is it, beyond cruel.
0: And it some very dire consequences, too.
1: Dire consequences, I would imagine.
0: One of the reasons for the show, and I wanted to talk to Adela Rey about this, is uh, in our little F.V. Ash group. And unethical. Oh yes, absolutely unethical. <laughs> there is there is a, a a Christian friend that comes in on a regular basis, and he told me that one time that he was a sex addict, and that's how he found God. You know, so so in other words, in his mind, he was a sex addict, and he replaced the addiction with a religious one, I guess, in a way. Uh, and I I wanted to tell him, hey, you know what? This doesn't really exist. You know, you've kind of been bamboozled here, but it's it's not that kind of line that's going to have the guy see the light. But anyway, I'm gonna go ahead and play Dr. Del Rey, and here he is. All right, I'm here with Dr. Del Rey. He's the founder of the Recovering from Religion Foundation. He's also the host of the Secular Sexuality Podcast. Doctor Ray, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me back on. See you, Doctor.
3: They just love you out here, Doctor. They just do. <laughs> <laughs> But well, you've already got better sound effects than I've got. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I thought I'd, uh, we'd uh, bring you in again, uh, because last time we discussed your book, uh, "The God Virus," and I finally did go through your uh, uh, sex and God book, which is a fascinating read again. so uh, congratulations on that. Thank and you. Uh, uh, we want to discuss sex addiction. Um, what is it? what is this sex addiction everybody's talk- addiction everybody's talking about?
3: Well, it's very, very closely related to Facebook addiction. Do you know any Facebook addicts? Well, you know, I know a lot of people that spend a lot of time on Facebook. Right. Do they call them Facebook addicts? No, they just call them <laughs> lazy and go get a job somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's almost that simple, especially when you're talking about porn addiction. People are get all hot and bothered and upset about porn addiction, sex addiction. Here, I can give you the bottom line and then we can fluff it out a little bit later. But sure, the bottom line is that. we have no – most people don't go around diagnosing, them, diagnosing themselves with leukemia. I feel bad today. I must have leukemia. They don't do that. They go to somebody who has a scientific set of criteria and they do some tests to determine – if you have leukemia, you may just have a bad cold. You may just be lazy that day. I don't know. You didn't take your vitamins. Well, this is kind of the same thing. If you if you want to have a diagnosis of sex or porn addiction, you need a very clear diet. You need a very clear set of scientific criteria that can be validated in the real world, just like you would want to validate the criteria for for leukemia. Today our criteria isn't much better than demon possession. Do you? Do we have a criteria for demon possession? And who's diagnosing the demon possession? It's almost always ministers and priests and people like that. Well, it's the same thing's happening with sex addiction. We have no criteria for diagnosing that. And I'm telling you, 20 to 30 years of study by a wide range of people hasn't been able to come up with any consistent scientifically validated uh, criteria. So, in other words, there's no such thing. But why? So why is it so popular? Because it's a very powerful concept. You know, demons is a very powerful concept. They, for thousands of years, people believed in demons. They didn't make them right. We have no scientific validation for them. But the same thing's happening today with sex addiction.
0: So, so we're saying that we actually, uh, the scientific community actually did take a look into this and essentially said, no, this is there's no such thing to it.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I even have a quote. So, yeah, one of the top experts in this area is a a psychiatrist named Alan Francis. And he was actually the chairman of the DSM-IV task force. Now, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual is the compilation of the criteria for diagnosing any mental illness. So, I mean, if you're going to diagnose somebody as bipolar or you know as depressed you have to have clear diagnostic criteria or you're just blowing smoke and you're taking people's money (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the chairperson of the DSM 4 uh, we're at the DSM 5 now but the person who was in charge of it uh, the last iteration a few years ago said this sexuality is an inherently difficult arena for psychiatric diagnosis because one The field has generated remarkably little research and few researchers. Two, there's no consensus norms in sexual behavior to provide useful boundary in deciding what constitutes a sexual mental disorder. Three, individual and cultural biases play a large and difficult sort of role. And four, decisions, number four is the most important. Decisions regarding the diagnosis of sexual disorders can have profound and unanticipated forensic and societal implications. And when we talk about forensic, we're talking about criminal justice system. Imagine you being labeled as a sex addict at 13 years of age. What does that do to you? And that's what these people are doing. They're labeling all sorts of people. And what Dr. Francis is saying, we can't come up with a criteria... And we better be damn careful if we do come up with criteria because they are so easily misused. I mean, just think about it. As recently as the 1960s, early 70s, homosexuality was seen as a mental disorder. You put that in the power of, of judges and you can put people in prison for something that's perfectly normal. We now know homosexuality is perfectly normal. But people are going to prison. You know, Alan Turing committed suicide because he was so deeply persecuted in England after World War II for simply being a homosexual that's the kind of power we have to be careful of and what we see is what I call the Oprah effect Oprah believes it Dr. Drew believes it so they start talking about it and and everybody starts saying well Oprah said it was a real thing so it must be Mm -hmm. no self-respecting psychologist or psychiatrist will diagnose and here's the real proof in the pudding I mean follow the money it's that's an important concept, yes. follow the money. If your insurance company won't pay for it, it's probably not a real thing. Go to, the, go to your doctor and, get, and find somebody that'll diagnose you as a sex addict and then call up the insurance company and say, will you reimburse my psychiatrist or my psychologist for <laughs> sex addiction treatment and they'll laugh at you. Insurance companies will not pay for something that doesn't have a very clear scientific diagnosis. What? Here, and here's the scam, and it's really a scam, it's a terrible scam on families, and they usually very religious families, they, have a, they catch their kid masturbating, or they catch their underage kids having sex, well, hell, I had sex when I was underage, a lot of kids have sex when they're underage, but they catch them, and because they've got this incredible religious guilt, they say you must be a sex addict, the preacher says you're a sex addict, uh, the Christian counselor says you're a sex addict. And they send these kids off to treatment centers in Utah. Morm- the Mormons have lots of treatment centers. The Baptists have them too. It's you know the highly religious areas seem to have these treatment centers for sex addiction. And they get the kid in, or the adult. It can be a it can be a Josh Duggar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Josh Duggar is a sex addict, according to his uh, his wife and his family. So you send them off to these treatment centers, and they can't They can't bill the insurance companies for the treatment. What they can't tr- bill the insurance company is for medication or for psychiatric evaluation or psychological evaluation, but they can't bill for the treatment because the treatment is, there's no such thing. You can't treat something that doesn't exist.
0: Interesting.
3: So, so at the end of a 10-day uh, session, a 10-day t- residency or a 30-day residency in one of these treatment centers. The, the parents get the bill for this kid and $1,000 of it is paid by the insurance because it was for meds or psychi- psychiatric evaluation and $15,000 of it can't be billed. So, the family is left with $15,000 worth the bills. They were told up front, oh yeah, we'll bill your insurance company. They, what they weren't told was this is a sham treatment. So now, we've, we've, you know, their whole life savings is having to be thrown away or something like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: It's, it's really insidious. What's worse is now you've got a kid who's had this label put on him. and It's a label that there's no diagnostic, scientific diagnostic criteria for. And it may last the rest of his life.
0: So so how do these companies well uh, of course we talk about the american system here in canada it's uh, slightly different but how do these companies uh the these treatment facilities if we could call them that uh, get away with it if they they bring in people and say we're going to do a, a sex addiction treatment but it's not actually that uh what do they actually report to their uh to the these insurance companies
3: Well they only report the things that are that are treat that are uh, reimbursable So if a, if a kid, let's say, let's say a 25-year-old kid comes in or a guy, a kid, a 25-year-old man comes in, he's, his preacher says, you're a sex addict, you got to go to treatment. And sends him off to one of these treatment centers uh, and he stays there for 30 days. They, they're going to do everything they can to build whatever they can. So what they do is they, they, they get you there, they get this person there on the pretext of sex addiction. Then when they want to bill the company, they bill the company for depression. They say, we've diagnosed Ooh. him as depressed. Well, yeah, in fact, he may be depressed. I'm not arguing with that. They may have actually diagnosed him correctly to get the insurance payments. The problem is many of these counselors are not, first of all, trained in that area. Second, they don't provide depression treatment. They provide sex addiction treatment. So it's a sham. And there's actually some, been some lawsuits over this. Uh, counselors being sued and treatment centers being sued in the United States because they're billing the company, they're billing the insurance company for depression, but they're giving treatment for sex addiction, and they're telling the family we're treating them for sex addiction. It's it's a it's a sham. What it a amounts shame. to, it's a, a big steal. Money. Wow,
0: that's fascinating. I, I I actually had no idea, but then again, my my rule of thumb was always whatever Oprah says, do not do.
3: So, <laughs> I think she's the biggest phony of them all. Well, Kevin, you you're you are not the only one. It's just I mean, very few people seem to know about this. That's why I've gotten I've gotten my megahorn out and I'm trying to to advertise it everywhere. We as secularists need need to be aware of this. And I come across so many I'm serious. I come across so many atheists. Some seculars that say, well, sure, there's such a thing as sex addiction. I was a sex addict or I was a porn addict. And I first have to ask them, who diagnosed you? And most of the time they say my wife <laughs> or my parents. I think that's a very and, good question. Yeah. Or, or I diagnosed myself. Well, none of those people are trained and none of them have any criteria for diagnosing except sex is scary and you're doing more than i do you know what you do you know what the definition of a pervert is kevin no but i have a feeling you have a good one i have a definition a pervert is anyone who's getting more or better sex than you are <laughs> <laughs> so if if your child is masturbating more than you did or your child your husband is looking at porn and you don't like it and it could go the other way women look at porn too of course then you you think of them as the sex addict And you see all these religious people, very religious people do it. In fact, the the research shows that self-identification, because there's no other way hardly to do it, self-identification as a sex addict is most closely correlated with religiosity. And there's other research that shows the more religious you are, the more you think you're a sex addict without regard to the amount of sex or the amount of porn you watch.
1: Hmm.
3: And, And think about that. It really doesn't matter how much you watch. If you, there's a, I have a Catholic um, uh, video, a guy, one of the spokespersons for the Catholic Church in the United States, saying basically, if you've looked at porn one time, one time, you are a porn addict. Period. <laughs> oh <my> <laughs> <what>? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, it sounds ludicrous to us, but that's actually the party line. Jesus said, if you think, if you, you know, you want to fuck a woman in your heart, can Use that word on the show. By all means,
0: (laughs) it's a podcast.
3: (laughs) Jesus says that you want to fuck somebody in your heart, whether it's a man or a woman, then you've already committed adultery. So the guy's actually right in terms of the Catholic Church, and that's just—I mean—it's crazy as far as you and I are concerned. We, it's—it's a thought crime, and thinking about sex too much means you're committing a sin a thought crime. A Sin, a, a sin in this case is, is a thought crime of thinking about sex. Mm. Well, We know that humans think about sex all the time and there's not that much difference between the amount of things, um, amount of time men spend thinking about sex and the time women think about sex. Men and women think about sex a lot that there's a myth that women don't think about it because they think about it a lot. Yeah, maybe I, not I as much men. I agree with that myth they, absolutely myself. Pardon. I grew up with that myth
0: myself, right? And he said, "All guys think yeah, about sex yeah. all the time, but women don't." So
3: there's there's all sorts of myths around this, and the, the myths are rooted in religious shame. That women are shamed for their sexuality, shamed for their sex drive, shamed for expressing themselves sexually, including dressing dressing a certain way, or and you know in a way that's not a not approved by their culture or religion. Mm-hmm. So it's all a part of of the shame culture, when we talk about sex and porn addiction. But it's mainly for the porn addiction part of it's mainly focused on males. Men are shamed, by, mostly by women, for looking at porn. In other words, men are shamed for acting like men. Men are visual, men like sex, men like to look at sex. Women, when I when women say, but I don't look at porn, I ask, well, how many erotic novels have you written? read? How many Harlequin novels have you read? Mm. Those are just porn for women because women are much more, um, they like the written word, they like the spoken word, they like verbal communication more than visuals in that case. Now, I'm, I'm overgeneralizing here. Yeah, I know a lot of women that like to watch porn. So if your listeners want to disagree with me on that, they're perfectly in line with that because I agree that the fact is that just because you don't like to watch it doesn't mean you don't participate in some way yeah I I uh, I had a relative who just I doubt if there was a Harlequin novel that she had not read she read everything that came out this was back in the 70's 80's mm-hmm. and every one of those novels had some half dressed voluptuous woman being ravaged by a man it was clearly porn right on the cover I mean, barely the nipple was barely covered. You know, it's, <laughs> it was clearly porn, but she was she was traumatized to find out one of her children had looked at porn, and then later really pissed off when one of her son-in-laws was caught looking at porn. Well, she was she was a porn addict if there ever was one with respect to harlequin novels. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, and she. <laughs> I could go on and on. So, so, <laughs> I better edit that out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so the, the, the simple concept of her uh, looking, reading into a book, kind of gave her license to think of herself as not a porn, yeah. I- a quote unquote, porn addict, as yeah. compared to somebody who would look at moving images. You know, or, which of course back then in the seventies would be, I guess, the magazine, uh, and the, yeah. the, the penthouse and all that stuff.
3: That's oh a, no! I, you could go to the um, adult uh, movie theaters. I visited adult movie theaters back then. Mm. Uh, there was there were a lot of them back in the seventies. <laughs> yeah. So what was I going to tell you? The um, uh, so one of my concerns is that atheists and secularists are are buying into this myth of sex addiction, and as a result, they're propagating religious ideas about a sex addiction porn addiction onto their children, into their community. They're shaming men and women. There's no reason for that. We have no reason for shaming anybody. What we've seen in our research and what other research shows, that uh, secular people actually look at porn less than religious people do. I mean, where's the highest re- porn porn viewing in the nation? Is Utah and Mississippi, right? The two most religious states in the nation. And who... Who was who was caught with their um, their pants down? Th- figured he pants down what on Ashley it? Madison. <laughs> I mean, uh, you got I all know. these religious figures coming out, and they're all they've all been on Ashley Madison trying to get, trying to violate somebody else's wedding vows. And Josh Duggar's out there literally screwing a sex worker, and apparently being quite rough and violent with her, according to her, to her side of the story. Wow. And and he's confessed that he actually had sex. Well, this is he a sex addict, or is he a person who's been forced to deny his sexuality for so long that it's popping out in places it shouldn't be coming out? That's what I see. Is it? I see. I see Josh Duggar. You want to get into Duggars? Is that a no? <laughs> as least as possible. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I
0: was about to make a comparison. Is this um. Uh, reminiscent of uh, denying kids access to alcohol for so long and when they get to that age where they legally can't, they just binge. Would it it be a fair comparison?
3: Uh, No, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think so. Um, I I think there's probably some parallel, but not that much. We're dealing with a biological urge here. If there was no alcohol available in our culture, if this was 10,000 years ago before alcohol was invented that wouldn't be an issue but the sex still would be because it's a biological tribe and the thing that I think is funny is these ministers and politicians are ranting and raving against teenagers being sexual or masturbating or thinking about sex at the time the hormones are raging the most and yet the ministers can't keep it in their pants so if somebody who's 40, 50 years old 60 years old I mean, we're seeing these all over the place. You can't. I started drawing a diagram. I'm, I'm doing a talk, uh, in to, in a week and a half at, at uh, Oasis on on uh, what the Duggars can teach us about human sexuality, <laughs> and I started doing a diagram of the Duggars compared uh, and their connections to all these other um, sex sex scandals, and the Duggars are just like connected to everybody who's gone to prison or. You know, diddled kids when they shouldn't have been or raped people. It's just all over the place. It's amazing how the network of Duggar sex sex um, edicts, there must be a lot of sex addicts related to the Duggar family. And we only know about Josh Duggar so far. I'm guessing there's a whole lot more. Jim Bob's probably a sex addict too, according to their... <laughs> I can't. I just can't say that Jim Bob, some, something about Jim Bob yeah, just just. I, I went to I went to Tennessee. I was in graduate school in Tennessee, and everybody has two names down there. I never did get used to that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Doctor Ray, is it fair to say that as a society and because of
3: religion, we're
0: we're all hypocrites when it comes to human sexuality? I mean, do we? Well, I, do I we think we really we're denied?
3: infected. Infected. We're infected with ideas uh, that religion gave us. And that's what I try to, to show in, in my book, Sex and God. How, what, would, what would sexuality look like if it was never touched by Christianity or Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism? All those are patriarchal religions that tend to give us crazy ideas about sex and sexuality. And yes, Buddhism is very misogynistic. And when people say, oh, no, it's not. Well, California Buddhism might not be but the rest of the world's Buddhism. The Dalai Lama thinks homosexuality is wrong and that any kind of sex except penis and vagina sex is wrong. He's a pretty sex-negative guy. Of course, he's never had sex in his life, so how would he know? And hasn't the Pope hasn't either, by the way. Oh, yes, so they say. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and none of the priests <laughs> that tell us that we can't have sex.
0: <laughs> all right, so so... <sighs> What would you recommend to all all of our audience, atheists and secularists out there, do to try to beat that myth? Because it's it is what we're fighting here. We're fighting the, the myth, right?
3: You're fighting the myth because your your mother in law is gonna call your your daughter a sex addict or your son a sex addict. Your neighbor is gonna think your husband's a sex addict because you guys are polyamorous. You know, people are gonna label you a sex addict because you like your swingers. We as seculars have a right to choose our own sexuality. If you want to be a swinger, go be a swinger. If you want to be polyamorous, be polyamorous. I don't care. If you are asexual and don't want sex with anybody, even yourself, that's fine too. I really don't care. What I do care about is we shouldn't be carrying the religious water. We shouldn't be propagating these myths. So I want your listeners to, to do a little research. Listen to this podcast. If, what I've said in this podcast is quite a bit should arm you pretty well. But if you want more information, go to the YouTube and uh, just look up my talk at Free OK in June. I have a full fifty minute talk on this stuff with all sorts of examples that show how insidious this idea is and how it's creeping into our criminal justice system. Do you want judges? diagnosing sex addiction on your children or on your husband or what if you're in a divorce what if you get into a divorce um, um, process Mm
0: -hmm.
3: and your your spouse says you're a sex addict do you want that to impact the judgment of the judge in, in the divorce settlement when there's no such thing well that's what we need to be combating there's all sorts of misuses of this concept out there well, there's no good use of it, obviously, and we need to be aware of this, and we need to be fighting it, and we need to challenge it. Go, go view my talk, and then if you want even more research, there's several articles. Dr. Uh, uh, Marty Klein's got an excellent article in the Humanist American Humanist magazine about a year and a half ago called You're Addicted to What? The question mark. And uh, Dr. David Lay that I just interviewed last week on my own podcast, the Secular Sexuality Podcast. He wrote a whole book on the myth of sex addiction. He also deals with porn addiction in there. So, yes, I want the listeners to challenge this idea, to not take it seriously, but to take the consequences of it seriously. Because sooner or later, somebody you care about is going to be accused of being a sex addict. There are some people that say, at, at one point in time, some of the sex addiction industry said, if you have more than one orgasm a day, you're a sex addict. I've been a sex addict since I was 12 years old then, evidently. I know. And he says some women he knows can blow their whole month in a single night. Yes, I've seen that too. I know women that can have dozens of orgasms in a single night. So does that make them a sex addict? You can't define this stuff. Now, if if you are having problems masturbating all day and not getting to work, there's probably a problem there but it's not the sex. It's the depression that's causing the sex. Sex is a symptom of a deeper problem. And when people say, we're going to treat your sex addiction, what they're saying is, we're going to treat the symptom, we're not going to treat the cause. Now, what if you treat the symptom wrong? You can actually cause more problems. And that's what we're seeing. There's evidence that sex addiction treatments cause people to, to become more depressed. And I've interviewed a number of people in my career that basically said when I left religion, I was able to and all the religious sexual bullshit. I was literally left my depression behind too. Religion, the, the unnatural requirements that religion puts on people lead them into depression. I mean, if you're constantly being beaten over the head for doing something that's totally natural, then... Sooner or later, it's going to have psychological consequences. There's a battle going on inside your head. And when you succumb to it, you become depressed. Leave religion. Leave the sex-negative stuff from religion. And I've had people say I dropped all my meds within a month after leaving religion because I didn't have the guilt anymore.
0: So a good, good way is to finish it by saying give yourself a good orgasm like you would say on
3: your podcast? I always say, go out and give yourself a good orgasm, or give someone else a good orgasm.
0: Doctor Ray, thank you so much for your time. The books is Sex and God, or the God Virus. He's also yeah. the host of the Secular Sexuality Podcast, highly recommended. And check out the uh, free. Uh, sorry, the Recovering from Religion uh, Association. Thank you so much, Doctor Ray. Anything else coming up for you guys uh, that we should
3: know? Yeah, I would like to just put a plug in for this uh, online. Are you aware of the hotline, Kevin?
0: I've heard of it.
3: Uh, is is it something that also would work in Canada? <laughs> yes, yes. Anyone in North America can call. It's a toll free number. If someone needs to talk to someone about a faith crisis they're having, we've got very well trained volunteers that can answer the call uh, twenty four hours a day on the weekends and and on the week uh, on in the evenings during the weekdays. We'd like to be we'd like to be able to man the um, phones 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but we're not there yet. And so far, we've gotten well over 3,000 phone calls in just like four months' time Whoa. of people calling to talk about. I mean, things like I'm I'm I think I'm an atheist now. What do I tell my wife? Or my wife and I no longer believe. How do we tr- How do we deal with our children? Or you know, we're, we're we're in a faith crisis as a family. I'm, I don't believe anymore, but my husband does. I mean, these are people; they have nowhere to turn. Where Where do you call? You don't go to your priest or minister. That would be the last place you'd want to go. So we've trained people to be very good at listening, asking questions, and sending you to resources. But we're not a deconversion place. We're not trying to get you to go or do anything. We don't send you anywhere. And if if you, you want to stay religious, that's fine. We we don't care we just want to be there to listen to you because so many people we get calls saying I'm gay and I don't know how to talk to my parents they're very very religious they'll probably kick me out of the house well those are the kind of, where does the person call? And if you call the local hotline on something else you know you might get a religious person that says well you know you, you just don't know what you're going to get now a lot of the a lot of the new um, um, gay hotlines and, and the, the the Trevor Project Good project, doing good stuff for for gay and lesbian uh, children, mainly people that need to talk to somebody. But we're not doing that. We're doing stuff around religion, and nobody's ever done this before. And our executive director, Sarah Moorhead, is the one that's leading the charge on this. This was kind of her idea, and we got we got some funding. We did Indiegogo, and uh, we like doubled uh, the amount of money we we were hoping to get, which really allowed us to set up the The hotline and run it now for. We're going on April. We started in April, kind of slowly, and by May it was really going pretty strong. Perfect. So it's I eight four four. I doubt it. I I eight four four. I doubt it. I think that's boy. Don't quote me on that, (laughs) Kevin. I always have to look that up, but I. I know it's the I doubt it part. I'm not sure, but I'm I'm not sure if which the numbers are. (laughs) Anyway, call that number, and uh, if you need, you need, or tell somebody. People need to know about that. Perfect. Anyway, thanks for letting me put that plug in there, Doctor Ray. Thank you so much for your time. As usual,
0: it's always a pleasure talking to you.
3: All right, Kevin. Hope to meet you again
0: soon. I hope so. Uh, when's the next time you're coming up to Canada?
3: Well, I don't have any invitations right now and i i spent a week up there when i was at inr4 yes yes just tooling around and i actually think we spent 10 days up there but three of them were in four yes. we had a great time that's well, where we met that's where we met yep yeah. gorgeous gorgeous area but uh, i'm going to be doing a conference speaking at the um, unabashed feminist conference unapologetic feminist conference in akron ohio in a couple of weeks, uh, I'm going to Pastacon, but I'm not speaking there in Dallas because it's such a good party. But uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yep, that's so that's on my that's on my radar soon.
0: <laughs> Perfect, Dr. Reid.
3: Thank you so much for your time.
0: <laughs> All right, bye <bye-bye>. bye. <laughs> bye now. And that was Dr. Reid. Fascinating guy, Dr. Reid. Connie, I hope you get to meet him one day. I hope so too. Well, that takes us to the end of our show, but before we actually go, did you know I found out that uh, in Abbotsford they actually do have a sex addict, Anonymous, <laughs> yeah, this is from the same branch of, you know, Alcoholic Anonymous and Narcotic Anonymous, it's all based on the uh, uh, Christian platform, which is uh, essentially, you know, the great, greater thing of it is uh, they basically tell you, you suck, <laughs> you have no control over yourself, no matter what the Addiction, quote unquote, addiction, and uh, you basically have to put everything into the hands of a greater power.
2: Don't believe it. Yeah, exactly.
0: We should do a show on that eventually. Um, so, anyway, thank you so much for the show. Thank you so much for being here with me, Connie and thank Nancy. You thank us. you thank you for my, my guest, and thank you to Dr. Del Rey for the show. Um, you can follow us at, uh, at com. You can follow us on Facebook. You can go to Block Talk. If you sign up at Block Talk, they will actually send you an email whenever the show is about to air. We're also on Spreaker. Coming up, the next show is going to be our Christmas special. We also have Jeff D from the uh, nonprofit and the Atheist Experience coming up. We'll be talking, like we said, about uh, to Ian Bushfield about the BC Humanist. We also have our friend Peter Bogosian, professor of philosophy, that'll be coming up with us in the new year as well. Until next time, guys. Thank you so much for listening.